This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Okay, we're outside of Daniel, Wyoming. And you know what we were talking about earlier? Um, I had looked at, I was looking at this, uh, a grip and grin picture where a dude had shot a bighorn sheep and it had a collar, it had a tracking collar on it. And I got to talking about how there's no way in hell I would shoot a big game animal that had a collar because what I like about animals is their untouchedness. The idea that they haven't been touched, right? They're wild. And to one to get one that had was wearing like a collar, I'd be like, oh yeah, but someone was messing with them, probably not far from here. Giannis pointed out, tell, tell him what you pointed out about ducks. I didn't point that out about ducks. but yeah, I thought you did. No, it was Chris. But say, the like band's that. on ducks, yeah. Because it's did. cool for dudes to wear the necklace, right? Yeah, so that's Chris Gill. Uh, you were born in Grand Rapids? Yep. Chris Gill, who's never joined us before, was born in Grand Rapids where I went to regular college, where I went to the end of regular college. Where'd you go to college? Fair State University, Big Rapids. We used to trap beaver up there. Yeah, we were you, talking about And it. you know about Chippewa Lake. Chippewa Lake, Haymarsh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, we used to catch muskrats and beaver in Haymarsh. I See, I did like Dinker Northern Pike in a canoe in Haymarsh. But I like the atmosphere better than yeah, Chippewa Lake. We'd hit it on in the ice, through the ice. Oh, yeah. And we looked for uh, morels up there and didn't find them. But I had this gal I was kind of dating a little bit who was Bosnian. And we were out looking for morels, and she found a deer fawn. Really? I mean, this thing looked like it had just fallen out of a doe. Slimy? No. But no, fresh. But. So anyhow, I was saying, man, there's no way in hell I'd ever shoot an animal wearing a collar. Was it, Are you sure it was you that pointed this out? I, I, I think so. I said it. I'm not, you know. Someone pointed out, well, why is it good or fun or cool to shoot to get a duck with a band? It's, I, I can't explain it. It just is. I would like a duck with a band seems mysterious to me. Not just that, it invites mystery because you're going to find out information about it and it probably was banded hundreds, if not you know, potentially thousands of miles away. That's exciting. An elk or a deer wearing a big collar, I don't know, man. There's no way in the world I would shoot it because it just wouldn't feel like well, it's not like then next time you go elk hunting, you're going to like throw the collar, you're going to like strap it onto your backpack or put it on your neck. And that way when you run into somebody, they're like, oh, dude, you got that one with the collar on it, I see. You're what like, would yeah, you do? You can't leave one. it laying because that's, that's like. <laughs> no, I know. But like the guys with your lanyards and the, the, the bands, everybody puts them on their lanyards. It's kind of like a status thing, you know, like how many little duck bands you have on your lanyard. Yeah, right? that's what I'm saying because duck bands are cool tracking collars on big game animals are uncool. Yeah. But like I was saying, I think it would be cool if, say, you did shoot that cow elk or whatever, and you thought, oh, yeah, she must have just been trapped right here, or they dropped her out of a helicopter right here. 
let her go. But then you found out that, no, she was trapped 300 miles from here. And you got all this interesting information from her. Still wouldn't like it. I can't. I'm not acting like it's rational. I'm not acting like I can explain it clearly. I'm just saying when I see, and I have seen a handful of them in my life, and I'm sure you have too, because I like to thumb through hunting magazines, where you see a fella, could be a woman, I just don't think I have seen that, a fella, you know, with a thing wearing a big, like those big white collars. My thing I always think is, it's just, I'm like, that's weird. Yeah, don't like that. There's a not not that I don't like it for him. That's great, great, fantastic. But for me, it kind of feels domesticated. I got a question for you. Does it relate in parallel? Just thinking about it, to like you're in this beautiful mountain scene, and you stand atop this rock, and you're like, "Man, this is great. I'm probably the first guy here." And you look down, there's like an old Dr Pepper can or something. Yeah. So it's like you you thought you were in this place of. You know, of I don't know what to call it. Yeah, I'm saying. So if you look down and found some old, and I have some old ass cartridge where the brass is actually corroding, and you look and it's like a make that you've never even seen before. That's cool. Yeah. If I look down and see a Mountain Dew can, that's not cool. But an old one. But does it? It has to be some old ass Mountain Dew (laughs) for me to think it was cool. Just I don't know how long they've been making Mountain Dew. Does it speak to initially you brought up that like? An animal that's been, you know, messed with or had been handled, it gets rid of that sense of like yeah. elusiveness, and it would be the same with finding that. Yeah, there's certain like, yeah, when you get an animal, I mean, I had this conversation with someone recently. When you get an animal, you're taking possession of it. I pointed this out to another person who, who likes to hunt. In fact, it's my brother. I pointed out like when you take an animal, you take possession of it. I mean, legally, it becomes your property. And he's like, yeah, I just don't think about it that way. I don't think like, oh, now it's mine. He goes, I, I have access to it, but I don't think that I've taken possession of it. It doesn't feel like that to me. But in some way, um, yeah, I would feel that, like a like a animal wearing a tracking collar with like a tag in its ear. I would feel like somehow, um, you know, it'd be more like I got it at the yard sale. Yeah, it was a shared thing. Then, then, then that it was like this thing that, that, our, that he had lived this life and this was his collision with a human yeah does any part of you think about like well maybe it doesn't but affect like harvesting that animal does that affect the research that whatever agency is doing on that species that i don't know but i know that yes yes and no i imagine sometimes they put the thing on there and it's you know it functions for a certain amount of time and it stops functioning i remember uh when they, at one of the points when wolves were in fact delisted and they had some wolf seasons, they were asking people to not to try to avoid shooting collared wolves because they were getting a lot of valuable information off of collared wolves. And that it was actually helpful in, 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 in figuring out predation. You know, elements of predation from livestock and other things. And there was like saying, like, don't get the ones with the collars. There might be cases where people want the collars back. And it's not like this is like something that happens. It was just a conversation we had. The second conversation. I, can I, I just add one collar story here? Yeah. You I got want, a collar story? <laughs> I once passed on a cow with a collar on it. So you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, totally. No, the no, she, she totally got the free pass. But just happened to run into the game warden. 
who'd been working this country for many, many years, yeah. mentioned this to him. And he says, and this is about 2010. He says, well, that's interesting. Because the last time we did any collaring on elk there, it was all adult cows that we collared. And it was in the late 80s. Hmm. So I was like, well, that was awesome to hear. Because like you hear about cows get elk getting old. But to hear about a cow elk, they're like, I mean, sure enough, she could have been migrated from some other collaring study from way far away. Yeah, no, that's but it. I'm in that you. general area, you know, with those two kind of, you know, pieces, facts put together, it was saying that that cow is, you know, 20 plus years old. There was a big collaring study going on uh, along a proposed highway route in Alaska where they're trying to punch, they've been trying to punch in the road for a long time. and There's a lot of resistance to this road. But one thing they were doing is they are doing a EIS, environmental impact statement. And so they had a bunch of different animals collared in the area because they're trying to figure out movement patterns and, and predict the way in which this road might impact animal migrations. They had a collared moose fall into a crevasse and die. A collared grizzly scavenged the collared moose's carcass, fell in there with it, and died. And it was later scavenged by a collared wolverine. Now that is a bunch of collaring. <laughs> That's a collision of collars is what I would call that. The second thing we were talking about is, uh, is Yanni's t-shirt company. That he's like... <laughs> Try, he's thinking about doing like this retro, this like retro thing. Explain that. <laughs> he wants to make like old timey, like when you were a kid, just to, like, how old are you? You're 36? Seven. 37? I'm 42. Gil? 27. So you might not even remember these kind of hats. Yeah. Like when I was 10 and you went out to go sledding, you put on a certain type of hat and it had a ball on top. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got and one it of those. fit a certain way. Yeah. And it was designed a certain way. Yanni wants to start making those that are like hunt to eat. So you can wear them hunting, yeah. No, no, uh, no. Hunter's orange hat. That's the thing. It's like, it's like, um, it's like, you know what it should be called? It should be called like, look at me instead of hunt to eat. I don't think you should make a retro hat. Well, I don't understand why just because I want to make a hat that, that you can like wear with a little bit of style out into the woods so you don't have to be forced to like wear like the goofy orange stuff that is currently made out it's there. Because it's the law to have the orange on. Yes, it's the law to have the orange on, but it doesn't say that it also has to be goofy and shitty. Oh, you're going to make it Hunter's Orange? Yes. <laughs> you know what hat I liked? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, catch, I still don't like it, but that makes it different a little bit. I think you should make a hat. My grandpa, Kenny, used to hunt, and he's like the only person in my family that used to hunt. And he used to wear like a big trucker hat that had flaps on the inside that would yep. fold down but the whole thing was just like really padded mm-hmm. and it was real old timey and vintage yeah it's like the whole hat was almost made out of like a foam yeah those. yeah there was foam on the inside of everything I think I had a Grandpa fa- Kenny Grandpa Kenny yeah that, that, that name makes him sound like he had that hat right yeah <laughs> yeah cause if you were like my grandfather Theodore they'd be like or my shit. grandfather Parker yeah <laughs> he didn't hunt shit so anyhow, yeah, talk about your, your invention there, what you got going on. My Hunter's Orange hat? Yeah. Yeah, it's just going to be a Hunter's Orange hat that just has a little more style than what's currently available. Are you going to have it with that thing they do on those old hats where, where the design makes it look like it was cross-stitched in? 
No. No? I don't think so. Um, I could go full on like what are they like the like the Alps kind of yeah, yeah, yeah Swedish yeah, yeah. slow Would you like that one with like the little tassels? No, that's not, that's the Andes. Not Andes. The, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I don't like yeah. that because I look at that and I think that the when I see someone wearing one of those, I make I make an assumption that they're so left wing that I would have a hard time hanging out with them. It just seems like a vegany hat, an an Andes hat. Our good friend Joe Rogan wore one of those. And I on told his- him just that. I told him, <laughs> you, look like ra- a radi- you look like the radical left when you're wearing that hat. You know? Not that that's bad. I don't care. I got a lot, you know. Kept his ears warm. It probably did. Uh, Yanni's uh, Hunt Eat. You guys came out with a commemorative. You guys came out with a T-shirt mm-hmm. for BHA where um, – you're giving proceeds. 100% of the proceeds. You're not even taking out the cost of the shirt. You're taking out the cost of the shirt. Yes. So all the proceeds go to BHA. It's not like this 1% bullshit. You're like 100%. Yep. From that one shirt. So Yanni just cut him a check for 700 bucks. He hadn't even sold him that long. Yep. Well, we, sh- we had a booth at the BHA rendezvous there um, at the beginning of April. And... Um, so thanks for everybody that supported us. But yeah, like all the all the profits we made we ended up being basically a seven hundred dollar check to BHA. Now a lot of business fellas would would think like, man, I should have just been selling the other shirts because then I would have kept all the money. Are you we, looking at this as sell, are you like playing the long game? Shirts. Are you playing the long game thinking that this will in the end make you money? Or are you playing the game of like I just want to support conservation oh both definitely yeah trying to be business smart and it's a win-win and do the right thing man between streaming services fitness apps and delivery services it's never ending i'm talking about the, the the subscriptions the monthly dings on your credit card well thanks to rocket money i'm no longer wasting money on the ones i forgot about rocket money is a personal finance app it goes in and finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. Meaning, you know, like, let's say there's like a show that comes out and you want to watch it and you wind up doing like this free trial and you forget about it. And then two years later, you realize you're paying those hosers 12 bucks a month for something you don't use. It finds that stuff, cancels it and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings instead. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Again, rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. 
To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And I, after a while, I realized they didn't drink anything all day and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick. It's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. Yep. Another thing I wanted to bring up, we just ate beaver. Damn, that beaver's good. <laughs> it was delicious. It's like... It's really good. Yeah. More, a little more on that. No, because that, that's going to lead into a whole other thing. I want to talk about another thing we just ate. I had some bear meat, um, coastal, a coastal black bear, and I made, I had one last big chunk of my freezer, and I, just, and I did a wet brine for four days, salt, sugar, water. It's very simple. Wet brine. I was trying to do it at the same time I was trying to, I was spending, I was kind of like in charge, of, not, I was largely in charge of my little kids for a couple of days, and that doesn't happen to be very often, all three of them. And so at the same time, I'm trying to like really keep that whole thing moving along. Um, I was also trying to make a bear ham, so I made a simple wet brine, salt, sugar, water, wet brine it for four days, put it in my smoker, a pellet, you know, a pellet grill smoker, started smoking the piss out of it, ran out of the pellets, put it in my oven, kind of forgot about it in the oven, came back, found it. It had gotten up to like 180-some degrees inside. Cooled it off, put it in the Ziploc, brought it down to Wyoming, and that son of a bitch tastes like salmon. Good smoked salmon, though. It tastes like fish jerky. It's like those bears eat so much fish, it just is in them. Sometimes I don't mind it, but I'm sometimes... What what'd you think of it, Chris? You haven't eaten a whole chip pile bear meat in your life have you man that might be the it might have been the first bear i had i think unless no. we had it on another trip but i thought it's crazy I mean, oh it tastes it, like fish yeah you eat it and you think you're eating salmon but you know it's red meat yeah it tastes like fish jerky it tastes just like because it's like smoked salmon but red meat and i can't believe the brining alone didn't it, 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 kill it. it's in there and it reminds me of something that happened another time coastal bear Killed early June, and 
I can't believe I hadn't really thought about this earlier. We killed a coastal bear early June, and uh, borrowed my neighbor's smoker up in Alaska. Smoked the bear ham in there, whole damn leg, femur and everything. Smoked the bear ham in his smoker, and we were eating it. And I went to him and said, man, you need to clean that smoker out because it's so caked up with smoked salmon grease and whatnot that it molested, it contaminated my bear ham. He says, I've never smoked fish in that smoker. You don't know what you're talking about. And I now realize it was just that that fishy taste that the coastal bears get. And maybe it's the smoking because I, the same bear that you smoked, I did at least two or three recipes with it. I wonder about that too because I've eaten a whole bunch of it. We were eating it as meat candy, pot roast. I don't know. Like smoking it enhances the fish flavor. Did you like it? Garrett Garrett made a burrito out of it. Yeah, I really liked it. I couldn't stop. I, I was just thinking, could you congest a smoked fish jerky burrito <laughs> with beaver too? Oh, you put some beaver in there. Oh yeah. But uh, do you think you get like the omega three from the fish after it is processed through the bear? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, that's a very good question. Like if they're, I would eating, like to know. Yeah. I, I I one time we were down doing um, you know that those those species of fly the you know, they call them flying carp the 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 Asiatic carp that have gotten into the Mississippi and Ohio rivers. Um, there's like the big head carp, the silver carp, which we would call the flying carp. Anyways, we're down bow fishing for these things. Yeah. And there's this, they're trying to figure out what to do with all these damn carp. And this guy had this thing set up where he was taking the fish and, and like basically cooking them down, shredding them and kind of drying them through this weird process to make fish oil. And, he gave me some of that to sip, and I was sipping that fish oil, and it does. It's like that's very similar. So that is the taste. You're so it might, yeah, it's got to be that it might be that the fats that his fats have incorporated those kind of like fish oils. Is what we're tasting in that bear, maybe. Yeah, maybe it is super good for you, man. Yeah, so that's like a multivitamin almost. That bear. That's a good way of looking at yeah. it. Yeah. I'm going to take that home and, and give it to my kids because they don't know that they don't know that like regular meat, red meat is not supposed to taste like fish. So since they don't know that, I bet I give it to them. And I bet they'll walk around eating it and think that it's really good because they won't know to think it's weird. You know, when does that happen when you think it's weird? Cause it wasn't weird to me. You know what I mean? You didn't think it was weird that you're eating red meat that tasted like dead salmon? No, but it, I think maybe because you foreshadowed that it, you know, could have that flavor. But it, oh, you know what I mean. You wouldn't have otherwise come up with it. No, I, w- I may have thought it was odd if you hadn't been like, you know, this tastes very fishy. Yeah, but it wasn't weird once I, you know, knew what to expect. The other thing we were eating is the beaver. Garrett, give me your like. What's your take on the beaver? Had you eaten that growing up? No, I'd never had. Not that I knew of. You know, maybe my dad did the same thing. Maybe we ate it, and I thought it was beef because it tasted very much like a, you know, big game or beef pot roast. Yeah. So maybe, but no, it was really good. You liked it? Yeah, I did. Loved that beaver. Chris? Incredible. Incredible beaver. What about it? Like, give me some more. Like, 
I wasn't. Ex- you were saying that Miss Gill wouldn't like it no, unless well, it was cut up. You'd have to trick her. You'd have to trick her because she doesn't like all the the graphic bones and on tendons and all that shit. Yeah. So you got to like knuckles, shred it. Yeah. Knuckles hanging. You just got to pull it off the bone. First. You just got to pull out the bone. But she doesn't eat a lot of red meat, so you got to. There's a whole thing you got to trick her with. Uh, yeah, for, as part of this, talk about what happened with your rabbit when you were cooking up rabbit. Oh yeah, so. I didn't kill the rabbit, but I got a rabbit from uh, our Kentucky trip, and I took it home, and I was, like, feeling all confident about cooking wild game, and the first step in this recipe that I found for braising it was to brown it, and I, like, hadn't browned any meat before, so I go to brown it, and I don't do it long enough, which I've since today learned how to do it, Uh, and it just ends up kind of looking gray, Mm -hmm. and then... uh, I braised it and then it just got grayer and then I pulled it out and it's like, you know, the back ham on it. And it's just like a bone and really gray meat. And yeah. she just was not into it. And that she was already kind of like not into the idea of eating it. And then that just totally like pushed her over. Would she be into gray beaver? <laughs> you'd have to cut it off though. <laughs> you'd have to, you'd have to really trick her, man. Actually, you know what? I think if you put barbecue sauce on it, we're both that way. Like we'll put pretty much eat anything with barbecue on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, you'd have to, you have to trick her. But you were digging it. I loved it. I thought it was great. It's like beef, like the consistency and like the texture was like a a beef pot roast, but it tasted like it had like, like a little twang in it, like a good twang. Yeah, like a little little wild laid up. Yeah, yeah. So it was like a very intriguing taste. Yeah. What'd you think about it, Yanni? Yeah, it was delicious. Every time I've cooked it up to that point, I think I've, Masked it more because it was in a stew. Like I've done Kentucky burgoo a few times that had beaver in it. I've had it in sausages. But this was nice because we really got to, you know, taste it for what it is. And it was just, you know, carrots, onions, potatoes, a little bit of red wine in there. And you just, there's no way someone could call it out and yeah. say, I'm eating beaver. I, I was pointing out to the fellows here that during the colonial period in America, or in the colonial period in you know the New World or North America, when the Spanish and French had a big early presence here, um, they had okayed it that because a beaver has a scaly tail and lives in the water, they had said you can use it as a fish substitute for your Lenten meals, which just strikes me as just so peculiar. But I think they had people here in a in a difficult situation where they just weren't. They, it was hard to be observant. If you didn't have access to fresh fish, you know, so you could be like in the desert Southwest, right? You might not have access to fresh fish, but you get Canyon bottoms full of beavers and they're like, eh, you know, feel better about yourself. Eat some beaver. Where we're at right now is what is it, How many six miles? Six, seven miles. I think seven is a crow flies from the confluence of the green river and horse Creek. And it's the site of the, it's one of the mountain man rendezvous sites. So of I can't remember. There was a dozen rendezvous. Fifteen. Fifteen rendezvous. Six of them were at this place where we're at. So we're trapping beaver. Turns out to be we're trapped a beaver within eyesight of the mountain man rendezvous place. And the favorite mountain man food, a favorite mountain man food was beaver tail. Um, anyone who reads about mountain men reads that and, and you see it around. And, and we used to debate what it meant like what exactly it meant and how you cooked a tail. And I was up 
in your old stomping grounds, Big Rapids. I used to go up to Big Rapids. My br- my brother was he he went to four colleges by the time he finished regular college, and went to two more for other later degrees. But one of them was Big Rapids, and I would go up there in December and January, and we would trap beaver through the ice. And we had I left the beaver laying around somewhere at his place and they were drinking beer and got to talk about this whole beaver tail thing and cut the tail off beaver and just stuck it in the oven for a while. Pulled it out of the oven, messed around it. And they're like, I just don't get what this is all about. I don't see that it's edible. I don't understand what it means. And then we honestly had this idea that when they said that the, when it said that the mountain men like to eat beaver tail, we're like, it must mean they like to eat beaver hams or beaver thighs. So we started stuffing those down into a crock pot and cooking them, and it was surprisingly good. Then I later learned that it is the tail, but you got to get like a beaver in the fall, and he's got a big, thick tail, and you stick his tail next to a fire, and the skin on that tail bubbles off, and you can scrape it away, and underneath there is is what I can, the the best way to describe it would be like gristle on a steak. Just white, fatty gristle. And it's hard to picture it being good unless you think about what it would be if you just were not getting any oils or fats in your diet. Like you're eating lean-ass meat all the time, and you're not putting olive oil on everything and putting butter on everything. You get where you just want that oil. Similar to the Eskimos when they're seal oil. Yeah. Yeah. We were out on on Nunavak, and they were saying that, which is an island out in the Bering Sea, and we were with some, what, what are the, what's their? The Chupix? Yeah, Chupix, Chupix Eskimo. And then someone's going to call in and be like, oh, no, it's not Eskimo. That's a negative word. I asked the dudes, what should I call you? Do I call you an Eskimo? And he's like, what in the hell else would you call me? <laughs> Didn't he? Oh, yeah. In my whole life, I'm like, the Eskimo, like Eskimo hunters, people are like, oh, it's a derogatory term. Don't say that. It's like, well, apparently someone hasn't told this guy because this guy, I said, like, you sure it's not into it? And he has like, nope. <laughs> More Eskimos. Chupic. Yeah. Anyhow, they were saying you can starve to death on Tomcod, and people have, but if you dip in oil, seal oil, you're fine. Stay alive. That's interesting with the oil there because didn't they wait till all the oil was out of their salmon to smoke them? But that was because it would because it would dry faster. That was yeah. That was some other issue where yeah, that was a weird. Thing. I don't think we've ever talked about this. So they, you know, usually when you target fish, like when you when you're targeting salmon, um, the best quality a salmon is ever going to be in like his highest quality he'll be in is before he goes up a stream to spawn. So he's at his most fit state, the highest fat content state, because once he enters the river and starts going up the river, he's not going to be eating and he's going to, you know, deplete And a really long river like the Yukon or these other rivers where the fish is going to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles. They're particularly fatty when they go up. And so those are great fish at the mouth, real fatty. So generally that's what people want. But yeah, these dudes were telling us that they don't fish chum salmon until the chums go up and spawn out and kind of start dying and drifting back down river, and then they like to catch them because they dry better in their climate because they don't smoke. They just hang it to dry, 
and they live in a cold-ass, wet-ass place, and the oily fish never dries right. It's an interesting trade-off, though, when you're obviously lacking those calories that you're just toting around a bottle of seal oil. Buckets of it. And they just drink it? Or they dip? Dip stuff in it. Yeah. We went out with them and caught tomcat through the ice, and it taken just shave like the whole damn fish, you know, it's frozen because like the minute you catch it, it's frozen rock solid. They take it in the house frozen and just slice little like sushi slices off of the tomcod. And then you take the tomcod still frozen and it looks it's about the size of a I mean it's like what are those little square like those wheat thin crack I don't know, like a cut like a piece of wheat thin fish. And then thin. they dredge it in that oil and it's a peppery oil, man. Like a very peppery. They spice it or just no, naturally? Man, that's all they do. I mean, the they were saying the kids have gotten into soy sauce, but they wasn't their scene. Yeah, the older people don't like it that way. Were they salted or anything? Just nothing, man. Huh. And they were protective of it. We were trying to get off the island with some seal oil. We were like, "Well, come on, reach out, ask some friends, please." We left nothing. with no seal oil. I think a lot of that might have to do with them being leery about the Marine Mammal Protection Act. Like, they're exempt from Marine Mammal Protection Act. And there's probably a lot, like, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of restrictions on who take, you know, like white guys or, you know, general Euro-Americans can't hunt marine mammals. They can hunt marine mammals as indigenous people. So the, the, I, what I took away from that is there might be, like, a leeriness to be taking byproducts from marine mammals and doing something that might be construed as bartering with them or, you know, putting them into other people's hands, perhaps. With those seal hats that they were trying to sell us fall under that? (laughs) That's a good point, because they would try to sell seal hats. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand it. Yeah, that's not definitely not it, because you could leave with a seal hat. Matter of fact... We got off the plane there, and there's a dude leaving with a seal, the yeah. white guy leaving with a seal hat. I don't know. Expensive seal hat, too. What's, so, oh, go ahead. Well, what's better, beaver hat or seal hat? Like, just because we've been talking a lot about. I like, to me, a beaver hat's better. A seal hat is pretty, that's a flashy hat. Yeah. Depending, I think what was the the ones that we were looking at buying were like a spotted yeah. seal, maybe, and so it was it was literally like this bleach blonde with black spots, so very flashy. It's like a look at me kind of hat. Yeah, the locals had I think harbor seal ring ring seal. Yeah, so it was kind of like it was almost like more like like the beavers, like a brown undertone with like a kind of like a just a light highlight to the tips of the hairs. Way more low key, you know. That's the one we were kind of trying to search out, but didn't happen for us. Yeah, it's hard. Like they can pull it off. Yeah, the Eskimos can pull it off. But I don't. I don't know if he made it up. But Ronnie Bame always said to me when I worked for him when I was younger. He said, uh, "Never wear a hat that has more personality than you do." And there's another thing saying like, "Never wear a hat that says hello before you do." And I feel like I can have on a beaver or muskrat hat that I caught my own. Like, if I'm going to wear fur, it's going to be because I caught it, right? I'm not going to go buy fur from some other dude. It's like I'm not going to buy meat from some other guy and, and bring it back home. So I feel like I can have on a fur hat that I caught the fur, 
and I can feel like I'm not, the hat's not saying hi before me. You know, it's a close second. Yeah, but to have that kind of white seal hat with the black spots on it, that's some bitch is saying hi from way, way, far away. way far away. <laughs> yeah, you can't shout it loud enough. Because those are going to be like, oh, it's a seal hat. They're going to be like, what in the world is that hat? <laughs> yeah, but uh, about the mountain men. So here's what a mountain man was. Now you got like, I find that a lot. Do you guys are you guys clear before we had this conversation? Are you guys clear on what a mountain man was? Well, I didn't realize it was an era specific. Yeah, it's not some jackass on yeah. TV. It's yeah. not some jackass uh, on like a reality TV show who pretends to be doing like mountain manny shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's no more mountain men as no. the as a. As and here's they were. the thing: now, when people who don't know what a mountain man was talk about mountain men, they think it's like a hermit in a cabin. But in fact, mountain men were the most well-traveled, widely traveled individuals of their era. A mountain man, let me just lay out what a mountain man was first. The mountain man era, okay, we, bought, we did the Louis, the, the U.S. made the Louisiana Purchase. We bought the Western U.S., okay, G- under the Jefferson Presidency. 1804 to 1806 was the Lewis and Clark expedition. They went out. They had a a handful of mandates about some various routes they might find to get across the country, opening up trade things. There was some talk that they might find woolly mammoths, and that was of interest to Jefferson. Um, But one of the main things was fur trade, establish connections for the fur trade, suss out what's going on with fur trade opportunities out west. One of the guys with them was a dude named John Coulter. He was a hunter for them. They didn't even get back. So they were gone 1840, 1806. They didn't even make it back to St. Louis, and John Coulter ran into some other mugs going back up the Missouri as the Lewis and Clark expedition was coming down the Missouri. And John Coulter was excused from the expedition and went out, went back upriver to trap beaver. Historians kind of regard that as the beginning of the Mountain Man era, 1806. The Mountain Man era kind of came into full bloom where there was a very organized trade of beaver pelts, kind of came into full bloom in the early 1820s. Um, That was like the heyday of the Mountain Man era, and the whole thing petered out 1840. At that point, a couple things were going on. Historians kind of argue about it, but a couple things were going on. One, beavers had been really whacked back hard really trapped out so it was becoming not quite worth the chase to give an idea how good the chase was at a time there's a story about a a group of mountain men they would call themselves a brigade of mountain men there were 20 of them that the winter of 1823 to 1824 trapped the bitterroot mountains there was 20 guys they had 200 some traps and they pulled 5,000 beaver which was an absolute fortune. Um, that's the heyday. There's another guy who was working a, a lone trapper, a lone mountain man working the San Francisco River, Arizona, and he caught 500 and some beaver in a, in a winter. That's a fortune. By 1840, beaver were petering out, and the price was plummeting because what they were using the beaver for is they're making wool felt to make felt hats. Silk had become fashionable. 
And so the demand for beaver pelts had collapsed. And that was the end of that mountain man era. You had two kinds of mountain men. You had company trappers who were basically like contract trappers and you had free trappers and people generally regard free trappers as being the cool ones. They went out on their own or with a partner, trapped, sold their beaver to the highest bidder at a thing called a rendezvous. And there were, you were just researching this, Yanni. 15, yeah. There were 15 rendezvous. 1845 to 1840. So a rendezvous would be dealers would come out from the east and truck out all kinds of guns and axes and kettles and buttons and needles and saws and axes and butcher knives and calico and uh, flints, lead, powder, all kinds of shit that a person would need. They would truck it out from the eastern wagons. You know, at the very first one, they didn't truck out a single drop of alcohol. Why is that? They were afraid of people getting too drunk? No, I think it was just a straight-up mistake. Oh, really? They, and they never made that mistake. <laughs> that would have been a bummer rendezvous. <laughs> yeah. Because picture, okay, so, so when the rendezvous happens, a dude trucks out all the equipment, and they meet just in a high, they just meet in a mountain valley somewhere. They'd meet in the summertime. They meet up in a high place so there's plenty of feed for horses because hundreds of people are going to turn up there. They would come. It would be an established period of time. All these trappers who'd been working the Rockies, east of the Rockies, the main stem, main spine of the Rockies, west of the Rockies, everyone would convene at this pre-selected location to trade in their beaver for goods and money, mostly goods. Then they would fan back out the trap again. For a lot of these guys, free trappers especially, that was the only like human interaction you had outside of the group of guys you trapped with. And they would party their asses off. And we're at doing some doing a little beaver trapping at the main rendezvous site, which was called what? Daniel. They call it, but the, what did the mountain oh. men call it? Horse Creek? Or did they call it? Because mm. they would winter, the mountain men would winter in Jackson Hole. They'd oftentimes winter in places that had a little bit of inversion-type quality, like low valleys that stayed kind of nice. But they would meet here, and I don't know what they called this particular rendezvous site. Cache Valley, Utah was a rendezvous site. Um, Maybe just the Upper Green River. Upper Green. They had more rendezvous here than anywhere else. And the last rendezvous was here. So that's what a mountain man is. Now, if you did a composite drawing of your average mountain man, he was a dude, he was like a guy who grew up on a farm, in, you know, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, grew up on a farm, what had a lot of wanderlust, and heard about fortunes and adventure to be had, and made his way out into the wildest place imaginable at the time, having no real idea what he was getting into, and came out with a very high likelihood of, of having a violent death at the hands of Native Americans who did not take kindly to this imposition on their hunting lands. Many, many, many mountain men were killed by Indians. A handful were killed by grizzlies. Some were killed by each other. Some were just killed. No one really knows. You know the Laramie Range here in Wyoming? Laramie was a mountain man. He hadn't even been out one year. Got killed. Some uh, Indians killed him, cut a hole through the ice in the beaver pond, stuffed his body down in there. His buddies didn't find him. Then he wound up with a town, a mountain range, and a river named after him. He had just shown up in town. Everything he got around here named Bridger, 
He didn't do anything else no, besides come out. He wasn't like a, he didn't wasn't no. He didn't have any big discoveries. Jim Bridger, probably the most famous mountain man. Um, Bridger Pass, Bridger Bowl, Bridger Canyon, Bridger Creek, Bridger Montana, Bridger Mountains, Bridger School, Coulter. For a while, Yellowstone was called Coulter's Hell. Now it's Yellowstone. Um, Hugh Glass just had a damn movie made about him. There was like a, you know, it was some, there were some swash, uh, some swashbuckling mugs, and they did some extraordinary feats. They're some of the coolest people. I mean, they were the, you know, the first guys to do everything, the first guys to go everywhere out of wanting to trap beaver. And now you get like people like, oh, I want to be like a mountain man, and they think that they're going to like, that you'd live in a cabin and be hermity. I'm like, no, if you wanted to be a mountain man, here's what you would do. It, 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 like people like be like, oh, I would have been a mountain man had I been alive then. But yeah, okay, you're alive now, so let's find your equivalent. Your equivalent would be that you're going to go down to Brazil and travel up the Amazon River for several months until you are eventually kind of like walking off into the jungle. Mm-hmm. That's the equivalent. Or that you would go to, this might be a better equivalent, you would go to Afghanistan. You'd go to the Afghanistan-Pakistan border, not speaking the language, and go wander around up there hunting. That's a mountain man move. That's the equivalent. It's not you have a little cabin and you, you know, make your own bunk bed. <laughs> it's just like it read books all winter. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? It's like they were the most well-traveled. If you look at a map of where Jedediah Smith, where Jed Smith, where all he went. So he first guy to cross. He's the first guy to reach the Pacific through by, by crossing the Mojave Desert. Gets over there, gets imprisoned. No, gets over there with a bunch of guys. They trap a whole ton of beaver in California, Sacramento Valley. Get raided by Indians. Kill a bunch of Jed Smith's guys. Steal all of his beaver pelts. Goes in. Gets held prisoner by the Spanish. The Spanish send some guys out to try to recoup some of his beaver pelts. Gets those. Doesn't get to bring them home. Gets sent back over the Rocky Mountains. Winds up getting killed by some Comanche at a water hole. Oh, mauled by a grizzly, so his buddy sewed his scalp back on, and he always wore his hair long, so he was embarrassed about the scar on there. Zigzagging back and forth across the country, going places no one's ever been before. Wanderlust. And openness to other cultures. Because a lot of these guys would go and wind up taking Indian wives, joining Indian tribes, learning new languages. And now we have this idea that mountain men are like these like xenophobic agoraphobes who, you know, don't travel around and experience new shit. Do you know what I'm saying? That's all yeah. they did. Tough dudes, man. Tough dudes. Wanderlust. Does it, yeah, it seems like almost the beaver were the vehicle for the exploration. Like the exploration was the priority. Oh, yeah. And that they could make money was like 
Okay, I don't I think – Yeah, it's hard to say, but I don't think anyone's like, you know, I've run all the numbers and the best way for me to get rich is to go out and get my, my head cut off by some, you know, yeah. by some black feet. So it was convenient for a wanderlust type of spirit to – that beaver was a, a high-demand commodity. Allowed yeah, that like, exploration. Yeah, if you want to go on let's, – let's say you want to go on a hunt, like a doll sheep hunt, you know, you like the idea of the doll sheep because of where he is yeah. in large measure. Yeah. Like if he was somewhere else, he wouldn't be as interesting. It's what, where he is. What would be what would be the vehicle that would take you into unknown places in Afghanistan and Pakistan? That's a good question. Yeah. You know, would it be like a, just just winging it like would it be like the mercenaries? I mean even though there's a, a political yeah. and a like violent yeah, attachment. Yeah. Yep. But it's like, oh, it pays I heard it pays well. Yeah. And it gets me to this place that, you know. Yeah, you're drawn. Yeah. That's a good point. You're drawn. Yeah, there's the idea. There's the outward justification of, yes, you could get very wealthy. Just like a lot of guys who are contractors and, you know, mercenary is not a word. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the right word. They, they don't, no one refers to themselves as a mercenary. Yeah. But, sure, the contractors that go do work there, yeah, it pays really well. There's also a really good chance you want to get your head cut off. Yeah. But, you're drawn to it. Yeah, you see some stuff you want to see otherwise. But that's always kind of burned my ass about the way people use the term mountain man. Oh, and yeah. It's not like what a mountain man was. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater get incredible deals on premium cuts from butcher box do you like free protein for a whole year well deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store i at home well i got two freezers but you know what i'm saying i like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff i like feeling prepared man when i come home and it's time to make dinner i like to go in i got all my proteins lined up in there just makes me feel good about stuff and with butcher box you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash eater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash meat eater. Make sure you use code meat eater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. 
I'm Was I getting to something about that, about them eating the beavers? They're good campers. Yeah. Unbelievable campers. When I think about the feet, <laughs> when I think about the feats of the mountain men, or like even Daniel Boone, who was sort of like a precursor to the mountain men, like Daniel Boone went over the Cumberland Gap, like through a pass in the mountains, went down to the Kentucky Territory, was gone two, on a two-year hunting trip, most of it by himself. Gone so long, he was making his own gunpowder out of bat guano that he found in caves. And you think about, I can't even imagine, sleeping in cane breaks, trying to walk across down trees to not leave tracks because he knew that, the, you know, that he was very likely to get killed as a trespasser. And you think all that, and you go like, but he did it without a flashlight. Like when it got dark, it was dark. And the mountain men, all that crazy shit they did, and everybody trying to kill them and getting killed by, it, 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 like, no flashlights. I can get, like, yeah, they did it in moccasins. I'm like, okay, I understand that. It's the lack of a flashlight that blows my mind. <laughs> that you can never be like, what was that? <laughs> in line out. You guys be like, what was that? I don't know. <laughs> Just we're never going to find out. It was 10 feet away, but I can't look over there. Oh, my God, that must have been nerve-wracking, man. Yeah, paranoia. You were saying that earlier, right? Like, they just must have existed in, like, such a state of paranoia all the time. Yeah, and Garrett, you had that point. PTSD, like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was good. Like, Garrett right, because get on to the, the, I think the way to wrap all that in is how we got to talk about the PTSD, the mountain man, is because you were saying how when it was all said and done, if, if, they, if they had a couple good years and they were smart, they would just go back to Virginia, buy themselves a farm. And live fat, right? Yeah. The richest man, yeah, we're talking about John Jacob Astor, so like Astor Place in New York. The richest man in America, and some people argue the richest man in the world at that time, was the guy who got involved in the beaver trade. He went out, spent some time out, figured out that, got involved with a fur company, figured out that there was a 1,000%, a 1,000% markup on beaver hides sold in Europe, got to thinking that that's where the money might be, became the richest man in America off beaver pelts. I think he also reversed that uh, markup uh, to the goods that came from East to the rendezvous. I think that was a similar markup. Yeah, I've, I've read that, that, the, that what they were paying for a hatchet and stuff was absurd. Shrewd businessman. Got anyways, after five or ten years of sleeping in willow thickets on floating mats of grass... Then when you're hanging out just farming in Virginia, man, you just don't fit in anymore, maybe. <laughs> no, I think so. And, and uh, Yeah, so Garrett brought this idea of PTSD because we were talking about what happened to John Coulter. So Coulter, was, he was part of the Lewis and Clark expedition, was the first guy to pass the Yellowstone Park. When, when I keep saying the first guy to do this and that, I'm, I'm taking a very like Eurocentric approach. I'm, I'm talking about like my Euro-American ancestors or that, that aspect of my culture. Surely... Native Americans have passed the Yellowstone National Park, but the first Euro-American to do it was John Coulter. They called it Coulter's Hell. There's also another thing that Coulter's name is attached to, which is Coulter's Run. Coulter and another guy were trapping beaver near Three Forks, Montana, and they got caught by the Blackfeet, and Blackfeet filled his body full of holes, chopped them all up, uh, cut his guts out, cut his balls off, smeared his guts and balls on Coulter, um, got, and got them all red with blood, and then gave him a run and head start. And then they all chased after him to go catch him and kill him. And 
Coulter's version of it was he was running so hard that he ruptured a blood vessel in his nose and pretty soon had like prodigious amounts of blood coming out of his nose. He was running so hard and he could hear a guy right behind him. And when he spun around his sight, like the sight of him with so much blood, he's already a mess and blood just gushing from his nose. The sight of him like startled the guy so bad that he was able to kill that guy, overcome him and kill him. And then he ran, and, and legend has it, he hid up in a beaver lodge, went in a beaver lodge entrance of an old lodge and got up under there and hid, and they looked for him and looked for him and looked for him and never found him. That's Coulter's run. And then there he is, no gear, no clothes, no gear, and crawled his way back to help. I told that story, and Garrett brought up like this idea of PTSD. Like, How could you live through something like that and they had no terminology for it, but how could you live through something like that? And then you're supposed to go back east and like go to the PTA meeting. Yeah, be a gentleman, marry. Uh, yeah. And that got us talking about A.B. Guthrie's fantastic mountain man book, The Big Sky, which is where you know, people call Montana Big Sky Country. It's A.B. Guthrie's book, The Big Sky. It's a very well-researched, though fictional tale of a mountain man, and he has that. He comes out west and, and lives this life, and he goes back, and he absolutely does not fit in and winds up getting himself into tons of trouble and it's like that he's like he's a this amazing hero here but he goes back and he's a damaged man he's damaged back east just so used to a different culture and different way of being how long did he live which guy the uh, well, I guess I want to know about both, Coulter and the guy in the story. Oh, the guy in the story, it winds up being that he there's another book where he becomes a guide because a lot of the mountain men became guides. So right when the mountain man era ended, the Oregon Trail was getting going. A lot of those guys, because they knew all those passes and all those routes, and they knew a lot of the languages and knew what was a good idea and what was a shitty idea, and uh, they became guides. Bridger became a guide. Uh, many of them became guides. Some went back to farms. Some became guides. Some became businessmen. Some became ranchers. Some went into the like the Oregon's Willamette Valley and you know started orchards. A variety of things, but um, the guiding and like the frontier guide and to be like a frontiersman was something that came out of. Kit Carson had been a mountain man. Wild Bill Cody had been a hide hunter, you know, but not a mountain man, but a hide hunter. Um, so yeah, you got into other lines of work. Bridger did some actual guiding recreation, a recreational big game hunter from Germany who came out and made a mess. Oh, right. Gore, guy named Gore Gore by the last name of Gore. He actually wore his welcome out. He came out and just killed hundreds of everything. He was like a dude. They named a beautiful mountain range after him in Colorado. Yeah, they did. He was like a dude going to Africa times like about a thousand when he came to the Great Plains. Did the terminology come from his, like, you know, gory or gore? That, I definitely don't think so. It, that preceded him? Yeah, I definitely don't think that was it. That's kind of ironic, though. So, doing all this, and uh, led up to us having some beaver meat tonight. And beaver meat is, like, I, I feel like, I feel like if, if, uh, if someone worked at it, I think that someone could 
promote it and popularize it. Yeah. Because it's a completely, like right now, fur prices are low. So the value, you know, they used to sell beavers for wool. Felt nice, sell beavers for fur garments. Beaver prices are like, they're not, they're, they're essentially valueless right now. Like the, the, the cost of fuel and the cost of equipment, you could never recover it no matter how many beavers you caught because it takes time to skin them and flesh them and dry them. It's just like they're, they're, they're not worth the pursuit. But that's a good question, though. Is so it's legal to barter and sell the fur of a fur bear? Would mm-hmm. it be legal to do that with its meat? That I don't know. I'm I'm saying this because I'm so far beyond the statute of limitations. But when I was young, when I was in high school and college, I would sell beaver and muskrat meat to sled doggers. I doubt that I was breaking a law wasn't for human consumption, um, but I would sell the meat to sled doggers. I would, they would give me, I think this guy would give me five, from, from five to seven for a beaver carcass and like $2 maybe, one or $2 for a muskrat carcass after I took the hide. So I'll get the hide, sell the hide for you know $5, $6, $4, and then turn around and I could sell the carcasses to the sled dog racers. And they would grind them up and give them to dogs. And this guy insisted on a race, he fed beaver meat to his dogs on a race. He said they raced better on beaver than anything else. He'd give them a lot of horse and stuff other times, lame horses. Mm-hmm. He'd, he'd butcher the horse, bone it all out, boil it up, and feed that. But on, when, on a race, beaver meat. He said they just tore it up on beaver. What, what was I getting at though before that? No, uh, maybe how long Coulter lived? Did you answer that? No, I did that, but something about eating beef. What a popular, make it popular. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like someone could promote it and keep promoting the idea of a very underutilized resource. That if you lived in a good beaver area and you got yourself a fur harvester licenses, a license, you could fill your freezer with beaver meat and eat beaver and live off beaver meat in your family. Not have to buy commercially produced meat, eat beaver meat, and then get everyone you know a sweet beaver hat and beaver mittens. And that could be like your deal. You know, people would be like, oh, yeah, he's a big whitetail guy. He's a big turkey guy. I'd be like, he's a big beaver guy. And just be that your deal's trapping beaver. Why is it that it's not like that? I don't understand why. And like people, like before this trip, I was like, yeah, who the hell eats beaver? And I feel a lot of people feel that way. Like, why is the beaver? But it used to be so common. Yeah. Think about what I was saying about the Catholic Church. Yeah, it's so weird that now it's like this thing. They try to do that with the nutria. Try to get it to catch on. One of the reasons might be that beaver has, for legal purposes, been regarded as a fur bear. So if you're a guy with a small game license out hunting, you're not allowed to shoot a beaver. Because like animals have a legal method to take. The legal method on take is it's like listed as a fur bear. You have to be a licensed fur harvester. And you have to follow legal methods to take, and usually you got to catch in a trap. Well, you, you said, can't just hunt it. You said Canada, right? They can yep. shoot. There's a lot. There's many places. There's many places and many peoples that are allowed to shoot. But in the lower 48, I don't know. Well, it's funny because like Colorado, in their kind of like bullshitty wisdom, banned trapping. They didn't want fur trapping. So they banned fur trapping. But anyone who's got a damage complaint, 
So they used to have regulations about how to take animals. Now, anyone who gets a uh, damage complaint and they hand them out like candy can kill beavers any way he wants to kill them. So now, anyone who wants to get rid of beavers, yeah, you can get, if your buddy goes and files for the damage complaint thing in Colorado, you can go out and hunt beavers with a twenty-two. What if, blow them up dynamite. So it's like they gave up sort of a regulated pursuit in favor of mayhem in the name of being humane. Well, what about what I was curious about is like, is beaver more common as a food in Canada because mm-hmm. it's more accessible? So maybe that is native cultures. Yeah. Like, uh, there's this, there's this, uh, Richard K. Nelson. There's an anthropologist named Richard K. Nelson. He wrote a great book called Make Prayers to the Raven about the, about the Koyukuk, Koyukon people on the Koyukuk River. Yeah, man. Big thing for them is to eat beaver. Yeah. They had some interesting theories too. They didn't think that you should, you know, everybody now, I guess it's been a long time. How long has it been that everyone's been like really thirsty, that everybody always talks about being dehydrated and everything? That wasn't like a thing when, when we were kids. No one was no. dehydrated when we were kids. I didn't start drinking water until my dad got kidney stones. It's way off topic. But when he got kidney stones, past kidney stones, and it was somewhat caused by dehydration, yep. at a very young age, he was like, drink your water. Yep. But before that, he didn't no, drink no one water. Need to drink water. Yeah, that like, was a singular event. My father did not need to drink water. Yeah. When he got a headache, he didn't go like, oh, I must be dehydrated. It was like, water. they were just fine. I mean, he fought his way across Europe during World War II, and then all of a sudden, everybody got dehydrated. Do you know uh, George Carlin talks about this? He's like, when did everybody get so damn thirsty? <laughs> they all carried canteens. Yeah, no, but it wasn't like now. Now there's like there's this thing where everyone blames everything on dehydration. Don't I'm act like you know what I'm talking no, about. No, I'm guilty of that. Look, yeah. I'm, it, it was I'm not always that way pushing you to drink more water. Yep, it was not. I'm <laughs> drinking water right now. I got rum in it, but I'm drinking water now. So, yeah. What was I getting at about this? There, at some point, it was about that book in Canada. Yeah. I had such a hard time tracking my own thought. Oh, that they had the, 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 the Koyukon warn people don't drink too much water especially if you're a hunter because water only goes downhill and a waterlogged log does not float well therefore don't be eating don't be drinking water some interesting parallels there yep they're worried about people drinking too much water that did not do you good (laughs) you're not going to go up a hill fast if you drink a lot of water that shit goes downhill (laughs) and they had another thing they're like, no man would shoot a bear that's not in its den. It's, it, you're a pussy if you do that. A real man goes down in the den and kills the bear while it's sleeping. Yeah, that's... You hook a rope to it or a cable to it and drag <laughs> it out with a snow machine and then kill it. Because anyone, any chicken shit can kill a bear out walking around. <laughs> What's this tribe's name? That's, that's interesting. The Koyukon. Koyukon. So Richard K. Nelson spent a lot of time with them. I think, I think starting in the 60s, but definitely in the 70s, spent a lot of time with them and, and wrote about their relationships to food and relationships to different animals and their feelings about different animals, what animals they felt were smart and what ones were good to eat and what ones were bad to eat. Like a very elaborate taboo system. I think, you know, this is something I talked about a bunch of times where I think that we only use, we use the word taboo as a, in a somewhat derogatory way. We have something like other cultures that we think less of us are like, oh, yeah, they have all these taboos. We're, we're full of taboo. We don't use that term. We're like, 
we have ethics or, you know, we have taboos. We have a taboo system. Like, for instance, we have a taboo against eating dog. No one articulates it that way, but we have a dog taboo. We have a house cat eating taboo. To, to an outside perspective, they'd be like, those people have a bunch of taboos. They won't eat dog. Because more people in this world live in a country where it's common to eat dog than don't. So somehow in our taboo system that we've established, uh, we have gotten the idea that you don't eat beavers. North America's biggest rodent. I feel like no, people it is have that idea about squirrels too. I was... You- Took the yeah. thought out of my head. People are like, oh, squirrels are dirty. What do you want to eat those for? Yeah. Really? You eat those? They're good, man. They taste good? I was I shocked. I don't even want to promote it anymore because I love my quiet squirrel woods. <laughs> <laughs> I love eating my squirrels. Like, I'm over promoting it. I did my two years of promoting it. I'm going to shut my trap and just take just it. Just do it. And you yeah. just found... The oh, Shangri-La. Yeah, Giannis, we're not, we're not even going to talk about that. that. Oh. Giannis just found. What state he, is it in? <laughs> no one. Listen, if you took, you could take Kevin Murphy and tell Kevin Murphy, you draw me out the primo squirrel locations of this country. And this is a man who has de- devoted his life to the squirrel. He wouldn't know to even go near this spot with a pen if he if you said shade in the primest squirrel country in the world he wouldn't he wouldn't come within 100 miles of it it's all yeah it's all greasy squirrels too it's all yanni's yanni has discovered Giants. I mean, it's kind of like the, <laughs> look, we we shared we texted the picture to Kevin Murphy, and you don't get it a lot because that dude spends some time outside and is getting after it, and he has nobody to be jealous of. But he replied with, "I am very jealous." <laughs> <laughs> he calls male squirrels bucks. You'll you'll get one and be like, "What is a buck or what's he called? A female? Not a doe? Bucks and sows? Maybe?" Yeah, I think sow. Yeah, I, no, I think it's born sow. Born sow. Yeah. What was amazing about that squirrel hunting day, and I told you, I think I called you from the location, and we had hit that spot at daylight, like a good squirrel hunter would, did a big loop, spent an hour in there, three of us, did not see a squirrel, saw some sign, come back at like 11 o'clock in the morning, do the same loop, and we almost killed 20. (laughs) Yeah, what's up with that? It's nice. No pressure. I, I would say what they were feeding on, but I feel like it would be risky to give up the spot. Yeah, no, maybe. Because if you described where they're nesting and what they're feeding on, in a, a very astute listener, Kevin Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember when he saw that picture, he was already getting in there trying to talk about. He had noticed some background evidence and was trying to deduce a little bit about what was going on there. I remember he had some comments about a type of tree in the background. This has nothing to do. I'll throw this out there because it's going to throw people off. I just met a dude in Kansas who they hunt squirrels out of out of uh, pecan orchards. That's got to be a good eating squirrel. Yeah, and he said sometimes it's just ridiculous with them. And he said permissions aren't any problem because people got to they don't want to lose their crop. I think he was calling them pecans. I grew up 
pecan. 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 I think it's like a Mason Dixon line thing. Yeah. Garrett, what's your concluding thought? Or thoughts, man. I don't care. Well, it'd be similar to the squirrel with the beef, with the beaver. All these farmers and ranchers are, you know, they're a nuisance. Yep. They're paying people to get rid of beavers. Yeah. So get paid, eat it when you're done. Make a belt buckle out of the tail. That's my concluding thought. Yeah, Garrett's old man has a beaver uh, belt buckle for like 20 years, 30 years or something. Beaver tail belt buckle. He told me yeah. about that. Your old man told me about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, he still wears it. I, I got like a image of it. It's just like the tail, you know, stitched onto a metal belt buckle. Just like you would leather. Yeah, I like that, man. That nice scaly black tail. Yeah. No, I'm going to, I'm going to, my concluding thought is going to be a thing about that. It's a parable. Um, my brother, he, I think we were both, like, when my brother was living in Bozeman, I was there for a while, kind of living with him and helping him with his, with his work. And uh, he had this friend who had gone to Hawaii years before had gone to Hawaii on a vacation and while in Hawaii bought himself a an eel skin wallet. So a wallet made out of eel skin. That wallet served him nicely for seven years. He later had occasion to go back to Hawaii. He calculated out how many years he figured he had left on earth, divided that by seven, and bought that many of those eel skin wallets. Oh, my God. So he's set. You know what? That's I'm, my concluding thought. I might make a beaver tail wallet. Two. Well, I don't know. That was the kind of a <laughs> small wallet. Yeah, how long has he had it? 20 years? I, you know. I, how old are you? How many, you're not that. Yeah, you might make two and a half to get you through the rest of your life. I'm halfway done being alive. No. Yeah, fuck, yeah I am. 42, I'm halfway he, done being beaver alive. Beaver and squirrel and stuff, you go 95. Yeah, maybe, but no, it's like it's like really yeah. something I think a lot about is being halfway done being alive. Chris, concluding thoughts? I don't know, man. I got a couple. No, do you have all you want, man. I don't care. Uh, my biggest one is brown your meat before you roast it. That way your meat doesn't turn out gray and gross. What's your next one? I'm, you got me. I'm I'm hooked now, man. I want to hear more. <laughs> oh man, Rat. I thoroughly enjoy eating rodents, and I didn't think I would, but I really like it. Keep them coming. Uh, don't give Garrett sugar before bed. <laughs> oh yeah, Garrett uh, gets night something called night terrors, where you'd be sleeping in a tent. Down to, you tell him might be sleeping in a tent down in Mexico, way way up in the mountains, where you don't, where nothing really makes that much sense. <laughs> and you go days out seeing someone when you do it's like a dude riding way far away on a burrow <laughs> and you don't quite know what he's up to he's got like a sack and a machete and then in this atmosphere Derek or uh, Garrett has night terrors in which he starts going oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> sugar sugar is the catalyst for those night terrors <laughs> I like it man I think it's, I think it's enjoyable have you figured out what the, like, the safety is to get him out, to get, to get him to come back to? No, I just yell his name. <laughs> and then sometimes, I, like, you woke up in the middle of one, right? And you were, like, kind of yeah. there, and, like, you almost hallucinated or Yeah, I remember right? talking to you, and you were, we like, no, it's like, so 50 cool. yards away. Yeah. And our tent's that one. Yeah, yeah, his night terror was that an avalanche was sweeping <laughs> through the tent. Yeah. And it, yeah, sugar, man. Yeah, so don't give this intense. guy a ding-dong when you're out camping. <laughs> Yanni, concluding thought? 
Oh, man. Um, Take two. I don't care. Just all the interesting things I learned. I've got limited experience trapping trapping beavers. Well, you didn't learn any technical skills. I mean, I was doing a pretty piss poor job. Yeah, but I learned how hard it was. Twenty. We had like basically 20 sets for a beaver, which is not does not a mountain man make. But up until now, I had been, you know, around it, like you said. It's like, oh, someone set two, caught one, set one, caught one. Yeah. Um, and you could just see how you could get into it. Oh. Just so much to learn and think about and strategize. And, oh, yeah, my concluding thought was going to be that the anticipation of, you know, going to bed when you have sets out is equal to, like, you like you know you're gonna go big game hunt in the morning. Yeah, it's exciting, man. All right, so Daniel from uh, from nearby Daniel, Wyoming, eat beaver, <laughs> eat more beaver. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in.